that stick out the most in my mind and still um, still make me a little bit upset, although that's waned a lot in the last years. Um, both involved me being called the N-word. And the first time it was in college, and, you know, as I said, I went to Pomona, which is a very liberal school. And um, I came back from a party one night, and someone had written the N-word on the whiteboard I had on my door um, to my dorm room. And I, my first reaction, my girlfriends were with me, so there were, like, three, three of my best friends right behind me. I got to the door first, I saw what was written, and immediately, instinctually, I just erased it with my hand. On today's episode, it is one of many you'll hear tackling race, and even one of many diving into the unique experience of being mixed race. Now, I start with some pretty passionate feelings on race, but ones you may not have heard from anybody else before. Now, my guest today is a friend, Daya Grant. Daya and I met with our respective spouses at a friend's wedding about a half a dozen years ago in California. Now, we were both born in the early 80s and started college in the early 2000s. Now, we live 3,000 miles away currently, and we only overlapped in the same city for less than two years. However, Daya is also half black. And even though her other half differs from mine, we have a lot of commonality in the way that we both grew up and experience life today, which in many ways differs from the individual ethnic experiences of the parts racially that comprise us. Welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast. I am your host, Chris Ham. Coming off a very enjoyable, long four-day weekend that started with my five-year wedding anniversary and ended with my daughter's third birthday. Packed the whole way through, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. My wife and I had a, had a nice dinner at a fancy restaurant in Greenwich, Connecticut that was a little too fancy for our taste, uh, we, we love a good meal, but this meal was 20% more expensive than our favorite local restaurant, which is also nice, and the dining experience just wasn't as good. Now, the people watching was fantastic. The The cars that were that were in the parking lot uh, were, were definitely a sight in and of, in and of themselves, and uh, the food was good. The ambiance, as I mentioned, the, the decor was beautiful, but the service was, was, was atrocious, and that's a subject for another day, poor restaurant service. So um, we ran around prepping for our daughter's celebration with her friends um, and grandparents on Sunday. It was at an arts and crafts place locally with 15 kids mostly, uh, three or four-year-olds, three or four-year-old toddlers packed into a room uh, trying to paint two separate things and sprinkle in some pizza and cake all while their parents watched. Um, and uh, Sunday into Monday, uh, we drove the two hours to the Philly suburbs to Sesame Place about a half hour outside of Philly. And um, I went as a kid and it was even more awesome than I remember. It was just awesome. And it was a perfect day weather-wise. Our daughter was just on cloud nine, which is all that ma- that matters. And uh, kudos to my wife for planning the whole thing. You know, it was such a positive experience and celebration for our family. And, um, and the Sesame Street brand in general is something else. 
know, I'm going to have to take a, a deeper dive into this, but you know, three and a half decades since I was her age um, and I was watching Sesame Street every day and it's the same characters, the same voices, but it's just humming along. And um, the theme park, like, like, like probably many in the country or the world, so to speak, brings all different walks of, of life across the socioeconomic, political and racial spectrum. I didn't see any MAGA hats yesterday. We didn't see any of them. Uh, there was one MAGA shirt in our hotel, but definitely felt some hostility with my uh, my brown skin, my my white wife, and my three quarter white daughter. And you know, just for being me. And maybe it was you know me with my my Yankees hat and my bright green Jets shirt. Maybe it wasn't a race thing after all. But anyway, uh, it just showed me. I mean, things like that yesterday. I mean, there are a lot of people that you interact with there that are just not a part of your world regularly. And that goes for, for me and, and also those individuals. And it reminds me a lot of the New York City subway on a broader level. I mean, the New York City subway, while most who ride are New Yorkers and have that common thread, it's so unique in that you can be three feet away from somebody who makes 5% of what you make, but also three feet away from somebody on the other side uh, or next to somebody that makes 20 times what you make. Such a unique thing. to start with this. In life, people have a tendency to simplify things that often aren't that simple. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, you know, the fraternity I was in during college had all amazing athletes. Actually, dude, you had two guys who can ball. Most of the frat were beer-bellied meatballs. Or something else you'll hear. You know, if I could just find a significant other, my life would be so much happier. Actually, you don't like your career. You don't like that you're selfish, insecure, and a bad conversationalist. And you also don't like that you smoke a half a pack of cigarettes a day. It's not that simple. You know, we simplify people, situations, and more. You know, we do this a lot because complexity can be a scary thing. We want to better understand things. Most importantly, I think we want to keep the emotional boat steady in our minds and support the narratives that we tell ourselves. You know, a lot of times we create categories and and often binary ones. Democrat or Republican, easy or hard, smart or stupid, good or bad, tall or short, black or white. You know, the tendency to simplify isn't necessarily something you can really fault people for at a rudimentary level because it's a hell of a lot easier um, road to do that. And we're all guilty of taking an easy road at times. We all are. Life's hard, man. Life's challenging. Why not take the easy road as much as we can? You know, that's not also to say that there aren't things that are profoundly simple. But most things in this universe are not black or white. They are gray. You know, take my previous examples. Are you a Democrat or Republican? Well, 45% of this country are actually independents. That's nearly 20 percentage points higher than the Democratic, I guess, uh, voters or Republican voters. You know, you can look, look at the example. Is it easy or hard? You know, difficulty of situations and tasks are often moderate. You list out the things that you have to do over the course of a day, a month, a year. You can list things in, in buckets. More often than not, they fall in the, somewhere in the middle between easy and hard. Oh, is that person smart or stupid? Well, intelligence is a spectrum. It runs the gamut. 
People like to simplify. Oh, that 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 friend is so, he's a really smart guy. She's a really smart gal. That person's a moron. There's a lot of room in between moron and and Einstein. And um, you know, tall or short. Another example. You know, most people are, are somewhere in the middle. They're not going to stick out in a the crowd. They're not going to need a step stool to um to 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 talk at the deli counter. And they're not going to, you know, stand out in a crowd for being exceptionally tall. I mean, only 10% of American males are over six feet. 10%. Not as much as you think. And then let's take a look at, um, at, at black or white. Now, as of 2017, one in 10 Americans is of mixed race. You know, when it comes to race, the simplification of it, it's something that has been a has really been a source of anger and frustration for me as a biracial person my whole life. Let's take a look at some data as it relates to race. The U.S. Census Bureau predicts that by the year 2060, so about 40 years from now, a little over 40 years from now, 2060, the number of multiracial Americans will be three times larger than where it is right now. Three times larger. So rather than looking at 10% or so of Americans that are mixed race, that's 30%, a third mixed race. Now, the Pew Research Center says that in spite of the fact that mixed race Americans are pretty prevalent and also growing, that nearly 70% of mixed race Americans who are at least um, partly black, say most people consider them black. Most people categorize them as black. Now, forget how they might categorize themselves, but most people externally are categorizing them as black. Now, I think one of the biggest reasons for this is the selfishly constructed phenomenon called the one-drop rule. Now, for those of you who are not aware of what this is, the one-drop rule is a social and legal principle of racial classification that was historically prominent in the United States last century. So this is something that was a, a, a very notable thing in the, in the 1900s. Now, it asserted that any person with even one ancestor of sub-Saharan African ancestry is one, so one drop of black blood is considered black. Negro or colored in historical terms. Now, this is something that never became federal law and by many was interpreted as a way to elevate the majority Caucasian population. Now, the legal concept of this one drop rule does not exist outside of the United States. So let's take, it some, let's, let's take a look at some history as it relates to the one drop rule. So Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, who you know is, is, is renowned as a hero to a lot of people, but has a little bit of a checkered legacy, is widely believed to have fathered six mixed-race children with his slave, Sally Hemings. Now, she, her, she herself was three-quarters white. Now, my daughter and our future kids, if we have any future kids, are going to be three-quarters white. So... Thomas Jefferson had six mixed-race kids with his slave, Sally Hemings. But if you think about the fact that she's three-quarters white, so his kids are going to be even a smaller percentage of black than his, than his mistress. So 
The children were all born into slavery because of her status, which goes to show you how it, 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 it again goes back to the whole the whole notion that I mentioned before that this is something that this one drop rule is something to elevate the majority Caucasian population. Now, although racial segregation was adopted legally by southern states of the former Confederacy in the late 1800s, legislators resisted defining race by law as part of preventing interracial marriages. Because if we classified people as, as black because of like, you know, one drop of, of sub-Saharan African blood, then everybody would be black. There'd be a lot of people that would be black. You know, this means that too many white Americans in this country, by, by the law, used centuries prior, would be considered mixed. So in order to have optically pure, quote-unquote pure marriages, there was resistance to this. So if you're a mixed-race American in, in, in the 21st century, know this history. Don't let society pigeonhole you because it helps people seem more racially tolerant having a token black friend or because your uniqueness undermines their identity. It makes them less special. You know, this, this one drop rule to me is bullshit and only perpetuates racial differences in my mind. Now, I'm a mixed race individual. You know, I have features of both sides. My skin is, you know, light to, to slightly skewing a medium brown. Um, you know, I've, I've, I mentioned this before. I, I'm not taken as white but I'm very racially ambiguous and I'm a product of my environment, which is more nuanced than a binary, socially constructed skin color classification. Now, one thing I heard from an acquaintance that is somebody, she's a, a woman I went to school with in college and I was on a, on a wedding shuttle bus with her probably seven, seven and a half years ago. We're going to a mutual friend's wedding. And I don't believe this, this person to be racist. But she said, Chris, you're the whitest black person I know. Stop. Okay? If you've said this or heard this, I want you to think about how patently offensive and racist this is for anyone. And how unfair it is for anybody of mixed race, in particular, for this to be said. You know? It makes sense that I'm a, I'm a white black person, quote unquote. I mean, 50% of my genes are white, you know? My mom and, and, and you know, 50% of my genes are, are black and my dad. And I was raised by both parents in the same household. And I actually spent way more time around the white community due to my upbringing and the fact that, you know, 80 to 90% of my family that was local was white. So... If you hear that from somebody, the whole whitest black person thing, not black enough, just ask them what that means. Put the, them on the fucking spot. You know, I wish I had the balls to do this to this, this college acquaintance, um, you know, seven, seven and a half years ago. I and mean, what does that mean? You know, should I speak Ebonics? Should I wear baggy jeans? You know, should I be bobbing my head to, to, to rap music and hip hop and soul? You know, unfortunately, the speaking patterns of many African-Americans in this country derive from slaves with less educational opportunities. Now, I wasn't immersed in that world. So I, I quote unquote, him well-spoken, you know, and I did have a baggy jeans face mid to late high school, a little bit ashamed of it now. And my taste, as far as music goes, is more 
is definitely black American influenced. Just, just take that for what it's worth. So in my life racially, I felt or I still feel a lot like neither black or white rather than both. I really do. I have a hard time identifying with either group and I feel sometimes like an outsider in the overwhelming majority of each respective racial group. You know, I think race is a crucial topic that needs to be discussed in this country if we expect to heal the divisiveness in this country. You know, let's so let's let, let's consider that. To be fair, I'm not as discriminated as much as majority African Americans. You know, this mirrors the whole notion that skin shades within racial groups often yield different outcomes of treatment. I mean, there's a large segment of the population trying to process what the hell I even am, consciously or subconsciously, before treatment follows suit. My guest is Daya Grant. She's a mental strength coach for triathletes. She's also a neuroscientist, yoga teacher, writer, and mom. How are you, Daya? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Just for the benefit of the listeners, can you describe your ethnic background? My dad's black and my mom's East Indian. But according to 23andMe, I'm also 13% Northern European, which is exciting and kind of cool. Right. That's a, 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 these, these, these like websites that offer that, I think it's such a cool service. It really gets people in touch with like other cultures. I, I think it just builds empathy across like, because so many people like don't even realize that they could be like 4% African or they could be like 2% right. Middle Eastern. It just adds a lot, like a whole layer to things. Um, yeah. So I'm guessing the 13% Northern European, is that, it was that derived from like your, your dad's side? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Um, slavery, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I mean, that's just part of, part of the cards for all of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I always say I'm like half black, half Italian American, but like, yeah, I mean, my dad's side, there's definitely some Caucasian in there somewhere, um, but it's it's tough. Like, I, I actually, they, my parents did one of those things. I, I have to, like, like check and see, like, what the breakout was for each of them. I mean, there were no, like, big surprises there. Like, my mom was, like, you know, 100%, like, Mediterranean, like, Italian. Um, but, like, my dad's side, I, I have to double check and see exactly where he came from. But, um, cool. So, could you describe kind of, like, where you grew up and I'm happy to kind of get into like, you know, the area of like, it, it, it was very similar in a lot of ways, but I, I, I want to hear about like your experience, uh, where you grew up. Sure. Um, I grew up in San Diego in an upper middle class suburb, sort of in what's called North County near the beach. Um, Carmel Valley is the name of the town. If anyone out there is familiar with that, that area. Um, we were, one of one of the few families of color in the neighborhood. We were definitely the first black family, um, but there were a few other Indian families in the area at that time. Now there's a lot more. Um, so at that time, in the I was born in '83, so in the '80s, early '90s, it was mainly a, a Caucasian neighborhood. Um, I grew up going to private school my whole life, and most of most of my peers were white. Um, but yeah, San Diego is my home. Right, no, it's funny. We we grew up like three thousand miles apart, but I, I you know, and, I, and <laughs> but I could describe it very similarly from my from, from from my own perspective. I mean, I grew up 
in Long Island, like Dix Hills, about 45 minutes east of New York City. And um, it was an upper middle class suburb. And um, it was really interesting because, yeah, I, I, it's it, like, like we, we talk about like city gentrification where like in cities like these towns that were minority communities kind of are evolved to become uh, more Caucasian. But it's almost it's almost like in the suburbs, it's like like the reverse is happening on like a smaller scale. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, my neighborhood, um, you know, I grew up like it was primarily white. It was a very high Jewish population. Um, I was part of a school district that was a little bit more diverse. Like the neighboring town was like a middle class to upper middle class African-American neighborhood. So I don't know the exact demographics of my school, but it's probably like 15 to 20 percent African-American. Um and wow. uh, yes, yeah, so that, that's that kind of was the interesting wrinkle. But it's interesting. But, but like what I find, it, it was like it was, it was like somewhat segregated. Like, yeah, like athletes kind of hung out and it didn't and race didn't matter. But from the perspective of like groups, like there was very like segregated, like blacks hung out with blacks, whites hung out with whites. Um, and even like from a religious perspective as well. Right. Interesting. So, um, but no, like my, I went to public school. A lot of people from the Northeast, like go to public school because the schools are, are pretty, uh, good in the New York Excellent. metropolitan area. <laughs> so, um, our, you know, my, my school district was ranked pretty well as far as the state went. Um, but yeah, I, I doubt that really altered the experience too much. So yeah. So, so in spite of being so far apart, uh, geographically, definitely we have, we had some similar upbringings there. Um, so how do you like, you know, it's interesting where we're both com- comprised in mixed race, but sometimes how we, how we identify racially varies. I mean, you know, my family, for example, my brother, he identifies as black. You know, he's 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 um, he's he's been like his whole life. I, his experience might have been like a little bit different, maybe just from like a friend's perspective. And like the funny thing is, like we look similar, like my brother, you know, he's like, you know, maybe some of his features like his his um his lips are a little fuller than mine and like there's other things that might like be more uh in line with somebody who's like who's black um but we look very similar but just for whatever reason that's how he identifies so i'm curious like you know do you and your brother identify the same way we do um we and you know it's obviously been a journey for both of us but we we call ourselves blindian uh so black black and indian and we do, we have met a few other Blindians, and I know there are a lot that we haven't met yet. But I, that, I, lo- I love that's that how term. That's we both identify. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at different points in our lives, I think we could both speak to times when we felt more connected to the black side or more connected to the Indian side. And a lot of it had to do with the experiences we were having at the time, whether it was more with with my mom's side of the family and our Indian side, or whether it was with my dad's side of the family. Um, but now we've landed on Blindian. But I will say that, and this is going to sound so hippie. This is just maybe the yoga, <laughs> the yogi in me. Um, but I really do identify as human first. Like that's that's who I am, and and that's what I celebrate, and I. I guess it's because I want to see that everyone's human first, and that just helps me feel the connection between myself and other people. Um, and that's not to say that I don't then celebrate my ethnicity, not at all. But I think you can, I think you can feel both. Like, yes, I'm, I'm human, I'm of the human race, and my ethnicity happens to be black Indian and 
a little bit of the Northern European. Oh, that's that's really great and a really evolved way to look at things. I mean, like at the end of the day, we're all one. I think you know, with all the divisiveness that's going on in like our country and like the world and like, um, you know, at the end of the day, we we all have the same blood. We all have the same like needs and desires and like want like you know want our families to be safe and want to feel love and 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 love other people. You know, for the most part. So it's it's just. So like race is such a social construct. It's such an interesting thing. And I think identifying as a human and making that like a like a, a, a key point is, is really important. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, now it, in the current climate, as you're alluding to, it really feels like we have to start recognizing what we do have in common. And we have a lot in common. Like if we would just want to talk about genetics and you know, what our DNA is, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're all the same. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that we can't and we shouldn't celebrate who we are from a race standpoint, because I, I'm so proud to be a black woman and I'm so proud to be an Indian woman. And, um, you know, that, that those parts of me have to be celebrated too but it doesn't have to be one or the other definitely and and for me like over time i mean i remember as a kid i was like wow i just wish i was one or the other and like you know being in a predominantly white community i remember the earlier times of childhood i was like i wish i was just 100 percent white um but as i've grown older and as i've just kind of come of age i i find that like it's such a character building thing to be of mixed race. And, but like the interesting identity difference that, that you're describing versus kind of how I feel, I felt a lot more in my life and even now, like neither rather than both. And that doesn't mean that like I have tons of pride towards like towards both sides. And I, I really love, you know, have, have close relationships on, on, on both sides of my family. But, um, you know, I feel like in some ways like a minority among minorities and like that, like my experience right. is so different than, than somebody who's just black, um, I say just black, but like a hundred percent black or somebody who's, who's somebody right. who's monoracial, if you will. Absolutely. No, I get that too. And I, I definitely had experiences that I know we're going to get into. Yeah. Um, where yeah. We'll, have, we'll have definitely talk about like, that. Okay. Wait, which, which one, which one do I have to pick? <laughs> right. right. That's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, like, I feel there's a lot of pressure societally and we'll, we'll get, definitely get into it. Especially as we talk through some of like notable people and public figures that like, it's like you're almost like forced to pick a side. It's, it's like it's like everything else. It's like, wait, well, you're a Democrat or Republican? Okay. Oh, I'm an independent. What do you mean? Like it's it it applies to so many other like categories in, in life too. It's it's just and, and race is such a, a big one. Um, you know, it's interesting. My my parents have had like a really historically had a hard time relating to incidents. I mean, you know, I had as a kid and like really distinguishing my experience as a person of mixed race as well as acknowledging some of the challenges that exist. Like. You know, there are times like I remember so many times in childhood, like, well, you know, what are you? You kind of look like you're really darker than us, but you like you, you sound and like you, you you have certain features that look like a white. And, like it was a, it was a challenging thing identity wise. And I remember I'd go to like my, my parents and like say things. And my dad would sometimes like he meant well, but he would just project like himself like 30 years prior, like as a black person in the segregated South. And just it just I just didn't have that experience. And it's now, right. but it's challenging. It's, it's so, it's so hard. And, you know, our, our parents and, you know, both, uh, both sets, I mean, they, they, I'm sure faced a ton of challenges coming of age like themselves and like formulating like their own family identity, like decades ago, like in like the seventies and the, or in the eighties and, and, and so on. Right. So, you know, how are you perceived at each stage? Um, you know, are, are like, like, 
like in terms of like, like were there any kind of student organizations that you that you joined or any, any kind of identity things like coming and going into college and like um, I'm just curious if, if there was any of that that, that, that in your in your own personal experience. So I went to Pomona College in Claremont, California, and um, small liberal arts school. And my first week of school, I was, I don't want to say bombarded, but I received a lot of care packages from um, two groups, the OBSA, which is the Office of Black Student Affairs, and then AMP, which was the Asian American Mentor <laughs> Program. Interesting. So they obviously got, you know, word that I was um, I was black and Indian and I, I just kept getting these care packages and they were wonderful and they were so thoughtful but the idea was you know we want you to feel included we want you to know that there are people like you right, right. <laughs> on campus <laughs> and yeah. you know come be a part of our community and the intention was fin- fantastic and wonderful um, but it didn't feel right to me mm-hmm. and I looked at all the great people that were part of OBSA, the black student group, and I didn't feel like I completely belonged there. Um, and then I looked at the Asian American group and I really didn't feel like I belonged there because I didn't, I didn't really see many Indian people, um, at least early on. And so I, I sort of became friends with them without officially joining either of those groups. And then it wasn't until junior year, uh, maybe sophomore year, that a group formed for mixed race kids. Hmm. (laughs) And I was like, yes, this is for me. And it was just so funny. And people, I mean, even Andrew laughs about it now because we weren't all the same combination of of ethnicities, right? right? Like we're all just mixed. So we're in this room and we're this completely heterogeneous group but we're calling ourselves, you know, a community and a mixed race group. <laughs> um, but I actually loved it because it, it allowed me to meet people from all backgrounds. And we, and I was really involved. Um, I actually invited my dad to speak at one of our conferences and it was, it was wonderful. I felt like, okay, these are other people that have experienced life as a mixed race person um, and we, even though our races are different, we have a lot of shared stories. So, so that's when I really felt at home. Yeah, it's awesome. The world could really learn from that experience. And then thanks for describing that. Because I guess I, I came from a, the majority group, which is the Caucasian, Caucasian on one side and then African-American on the other. I only got like going to college. Like I went to Emory and got like the black uh, you know, student alliance and like I'd get all this stuff in the mail too and it's like and I didn't have the same like I guess combination of getting like oh you're accepted by both of these groups like it was more like okay you're being it's kind of like how you know, it goes back to our conversation before like being pigeonholed into one group it's like oh you know you're not white uh, I don't care what you checked in your application we're putting you in the on the black group and that there was something that felt like a little bit isolating about that absolutely um, and, and I bet you now I mean you know like where you know if you like a decade plus removed from from undergrad, um, but uh, you know it, it'd be interesting to know like if there's if there's a higher prevalence of things like the mixed race student groups across campus. I imagine there are like just based on the way the demographics of the country are going. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, I actually tried to look to see if this group was still there because I couldn't remember what it was called. That's cool. And um, I couldn't find anything, but I'm sure I'm sure it's there, especially at these 
liberal schools that we went to. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. And especially like nowadays too. Pivoting a little bit, a few a few other topics I wanted to get to. Um, you know, I found, you know, for me personally, I found a lot of a good chunk of some of the challenging racial interactions I had coming from like my extended family. Um, and that doesn't mean that like, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that the same thing happened to you, but, um, you know, how did your extended family perceive you on both sides? And were there any particularly challenging times that came up, uh, uh like either, either in, in, on, on either side? Um, so my grandmother on my dad's side, so my black grandmother identified me as American through and through. And it, it really came up when my brother was preparing, he officiated our wedding and he was preparing our, his speech. And my grandmother who was living with my parents at the time said, you know, I just, I really hope you celebrate um, how American Daya is. And you should probably mention that she's, you know, seventh generation American. <laughs> and my brother said, okay, I'll totally figure out how to incorporate that into her wedding. <laughs> right. um, so my, my grandmother was very, very proud of the fact that I was American and that I, her family and my lineage on that side has been in this country for a really long time. And I know where that comes from. I know that it's a reminder to everyone else that we've been here. We've been here for a lot longer than a lot of other people have been here. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And that was, that was her sense of pride. And it was interesting. And then on my Indian side, um, I actually have to go back to my parents' wedding. So my grandfather, my mom's dad, um, disapproved of, of my mom dating a black man. And he actually, they dated for four years before getting married and he didn't attend the wedding. Um, but when I was born, everything completely changed. Mm -hmm. And almost overnight, my grandfather went from not accepting my dad to adoring me and completely opening his arms and his heart to my dad. And from that time, from essentially September 24th, 1983, um, he and my dad had a really beautiful relationship. So I, I sort of was this bridge between um, the Indian culture that he was so rooted in and this black culture that he knew nothing about and was a little bit fearful of right. at first. Wow, that's, such, um, that's so a beautiful I, story. I take a lot of pride in that. And yeah. I, I didn't have to do anything. I yeah. just appeared. <laughs> you just appeared. You came, in, came into this earth. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's funny. Like I, I, I have a, a very similar experience on on am going back to my parents side and yeah like like my dad's side is like seventh generation too it's the same thing like we've been around longer than my mom's side which is you know my, my mom was second generation my grandmother was born here but she had two of her siblings were born in italy i mean they spoke italian in the house until she was like 15 um mm -hmm. so you know they were very much immigrants of the early part of like the last century um but you know as far as like my 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 grandparents attended my parents' wedding, but there was a lot of disapproval on my, this is on my mom's side when they first started dating. And, right. um, you know, my mom, I remember like the story about my mom tells and like, you know, like, like, like my, my 
dad came to pick her up and like, I guess my mom, <laughs> this is like typical my mom, never told my my grandparents that he was black. And they like were like, they opened the door like kind of like with their jaws to the floor. <laughs> they went on the date and then like, I guess like when my dad had dropped off my mom, my mom said, oh, um, you know, Nathaniel is my dad's name. It's like, Nathaniel is really nice, but I, I don't want you to see him anymore. And that kind of started my mom being like, well, you know, screw this. Like I, like, you're, you can't tell me what to do. Like it was like, she was very like, she, she, I guess knew early on that she like was falling for him. And like, um, you know, there was just a lot of, and a lot of it was just fear based. Like my, like, I don't think either of my grandparents were racist. Like they were very right. loving people, but they just, it was just a different world back then. I mean, this is now the early seventies yeah. when they, when they went on their first date and, um, you know, a lot of, I know, like I've only known my grandmother obviously since I was born and she passed away when I was almost 19, like in 2000. Um, but I think like the, the birth of me and my brother really brought her closer and like, just, she had so much perspective. I remember she, she felt so much pride in me and would take me out so many different places and, and show me off. And I remember that even from, as like a kid. And it's funny how like us coming into this world, um, really changes the experience and it just speaks to, and, and there's a lot, I think a lot of lessons that could be drawn from that on, on how like we're looking at like, you know, some of the, the issues and challenges that are going on in the country. Absolutely. And I think, you know, thinking about what I find interesting is even though at first our extended families and our extended families maybe disapproved, um, eventually they all, Came together right? right and were supportive and loving and um and they had a complete shift in their mindset mm -hmm. but what i found and you might have experienced this too or at least your parents is that a lot of my parents friends and mainly my mom's friends um or her mom's friends so this indian group of people in northern california or in india still um had a really hard time dealing with the fact that that this woman, their friend's daughter, married a black man. Of course, it right. shouldn't matter. Right. It doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. But they they really had a hard time with it. And I talked to my mom about this a lot. And we just we go back to this really fascinating construct that all these immigrant groups come to this country and they are. Um, there's discrimination there mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. experience a lot of hatred and fear and negative things toward them. But then they often show some of those things to other groups as well. So once they've assimilated, they then kind of project those feelings they first had when they came to this country onto other groups. Right. And um, my mom had to deal with, that a lot and her mom had to deal with that a lot but they protected both my mom and my grandmother really protected me from that and um they sort of insulated me from from you know people said oh what a beautiful indian girl but they wouldn't often acknowledge you know the other half of who i was right, right. um so yeah it's just interesting yeah no it's it's like the it, there's there's the same parallel i think on 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 my side um, where the Italian Americans were treated as if like the same way, like a lot of the immigrants are treated now when they first came to this mm -hmm. country. And now all of a sudden, like they tend to be the ones who are the most staunch conservatives a lot and like project a lot of like their own stuff onto these, uh, 
the uh, other groups that are maybe more marginalized like at the time right so um interesting um so there there was a story i mean this is a, if, if you don't mind sharing this uh, there was a story that you shared with me in another conversation we had about um when you went to india uh, it's kind of along the same line so i, yeah. I didn't want to forget about it would you mind would you mind sharing that that story with the the audience yeah of course um so i went to india for the first time in 2007 um with my mom this was her she was born in India, but left when she was eight, um, moved to England until she was 13, and then came to this country. This was her second trip back after leaving. So first time in 27 years, I go back to India with my mom. Uh, it was an incredible, incredible, life-changing trip. But one, one particular day really stands out. Um, we were at a train station in, mm, I have to remember the town. I think we were leaving... Ranchi, which is uh, one of the poor areas of the, the country. And we're in a train station, and they have lounges, so women's lounges and, and men lounges. And so we were in the women's lounge just hanging out until, until our train arrived. And my mom, as she does, started talking with strangers. Um, <laughs> and she's just amazing like that. And she's talking and I see everyone sort of start to look at me. And now the whole trip I had been looked at and I know it was always because they were curious, you know, like we were in a lot of um, smaller villages and smaller towns, not necessarily the big cities, but in these smaller villages I was looked at and people wondered like, what, okay, what is she? She sort of looks Indian, but I can't really tell. She seems a little darker than her mom. Like, what is she? Um, it didn't bother me until this particular day, and all eyes were on me, and my mom then started talking to them, and she was speaking Punjabi, so I, didn't, I couldn't understand. Um, and then a few minutes later, she came over to me, and I said, Mom, what was that about? And she said, oh, they were all wondering what your dad is or who your dad is. And I said, okay, what did you say? And she said, she kind of started tearing up. And she got a little choked up, which, um, which caught me off guard. And she said, I don't feel good about this, but I told them that your dad's Indian and he's just not traveling with us right now. And we sort of left it at that for that moment. And later on in the day, once we're on the train and away from this group of women, um, we talked more about it. And basically she sensed a real curiosity from them but she knew that if she told them that my dad was black they may have said some things that that were hurtful and she didn't want me to be subjected to any of that hatred mm -hmm. um and it was clear based on the conversations that that's where it would have gone so she just said you know what was easy at that time um that my dad was indian but then you know she felt awful about it because my dad is like an incredible, incredible man who also happens to be black, and she hated that she had to hide that. Um, so that that moment really sticks out for both of us. And, you know, it's just, yes, we want to be so full of pride of who we are, but in certain situations, um, unfortunately, sometimes you feel like you have to, you know, tell a little white lie just to keep yourself and your your daughter protected yeah yeah i mean safety certainly factored factored in there clearly and it just showed 
It's such a touching story. I mean, thanks for sharing that so vulnerably. Um, like it's, it just speaks to the, the fact of like how, um, you know, she was touched by, uh, she was like emotional from it because like you said, like, like, like this whole, the whole concept of, of, of this discussion, I mean, we are all human beings and we have our own experiences that, um, and, and our and our racial background and identity, like it, it, yeah, it certainly shapes us, but it should be a footnote in who we are. It doesn't define who we are as people. Um, and she felt like she was doing him a disservice potentially at the moment. But it sounds like such like a beautiful, honest exchange and and um, an acknowledgement of what happened and 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 you know her explaining like why she did what she did. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I guess that's a good segue um, to. Just our, you know, our racial experiences as an adult. We talked a lot about our, our childhood and experiences, like even like maybe like in, in in college and early adulthood. But as far as like adulthood, like looking at the last like you know ten to fifteen years, um, you know, what are some racial experiences that you had as an adult that might have been uh, I don't know like like any kind of racism that you faced or um, how any, any any commentary on how like different friends perceive you. Yeah, so the um, the two incidents that stick out the most in my mind and still um, still make me a little bit upset, although that's waned a lot in the last years, um, both involved me being called N-word. And the first time it was in college, and, you know, as I said, I went to Pomona, which is a very liberal school, and... Um, I came back from a party one night and someone had written the N word on the whiteboard I had on my door um, to my dorm room. And I, my first reaction, my girlfriends were with me. So there were like three, three of my best friends right behind me. I got to the door first. I saw what was written and immediately instinctually, I just erased it with my hands. Um, And it wasn't until a little bit later that maybe a few days later that I told them what had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, that was the first time that really bothered me because, you know, I felt safe at school. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was in college and I was really figuring out who I am as a person and developing this immense sense of pride in who I am. And Mm -hmm. here someone is who's clearly educated. Like you can't be at the school if you're not an educated person. They're scrawling this on my, on my whiteboard and never found out who that person was. Um, It doesn't matter, but it, that, that affected me. Of course. And then the second time I was called the N-word, I, I was walking on the streets of San Francisco with a girlfriend, and um, a, a homeless man just yelled it. There were a bunch of people on the streets during rush hour, mm-hmm. and he just yelled it to to me as I was walking by. Everyone heard it. I looked at him, didn't do anything. I saw who had said it, and, you know, he's, He's clearly got his own challenges, and I didn't need to say anything at that moment. Right. Um, and a couple of people said, God, I'm sorry. And I said, it's all right, you know, and I just kept walking. Um, because in the end, it's their problem. Like, if, if they're going to call me that, the first time in college, I didn't necessarily feel that. I was pretty hurt. Um, but the second time, this is just coming from someone who's angry and fearful mm-hmm. and uneducated, and he's got his own stuff. So I just kind of let it roll off my back and and kept moving forward. But it definitely sparked a conversation with my friend who, who's white, and um, it was a good good conversation to have. So those were the two 
biggest incidents of racism. And then there are all the subtle things that I experience, you know, on a, now it's probably on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, they're little, you know, and, and I guess I just try not to let them really affect me because they can motivate me to, to keep being who I am and to keep educating people, but I don't need to get upset right. about it. That's that's such an evolved um, viewpoint. But I will get upset when people are racist toward other people mm-hmm. that maybe don't feel feel the strength that I feel. Yeah. Because um, that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I will fight for them. Yeah, that, that gets me going as well. And yeah, that, thanks for, the again, sharing those stories. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, for me... Um, I can't think of a single time in my life that I've been called the N-word to my face. And hmm. um, I think a lot of that has to do with like maybe I was just like um, oblivious in certain situations when it might have happened. But it hasn't been, I guess, as blatant mm-hmm. as that. And that's not to say that it won't happen. But, you know, I think a lot of it's like, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that when I was in the like my dad grew up in the South and like a very like like kind of. Uh, rural area near Charleston, South Carolina. And um, it felt, you know, in some, some ways, you, you know, I, I went down there as a kid. It felt like you were still in, in the segregated South. Like white people didn't yeah. talk to black people. Black people didn't talk to white people. So I'm sure there were probably comments that would happen, especially as I was out with like my mom and my dad and like right. the whole family unit. Um, and then also I think the, the other thing, um, you know, I, like this all, all talks about like racial perception. Like we talk about like, there's a lot of ambiguity to how we're perceived. And I find a lot of people ex- like project like what we are based on their own experience. Like if they grew up in like an area where there are only white and black people, if they see somebody who's dark, it's like, Oh, you're black. Or if they, you know, New York city, it's really, this a very high, like Latino population and particularly like, um, you know, Dominican and Puerto Rican. And I can't tell you how many times I get, I get conversations started with me, like in subways or like in the, like ask for directions in Spanish, because I'd say that's like the, the go-to like assumption of, of who, I, of what I am. So I do think a lot of times people look at me and they're like, they don't know what I, I am. They, they see me as not non-white for sure, but it's tough to say like if they see me as like a black person or not. And like, at least the people that, that might see me as a black person haven't uh, said, you know, use any of the, the, the N word to my face. And maybe I'm wondering too, like you mentioned the two experiences you had, like if it's like a male, like if there's any like, male female thing where, where like somebody feels more like especially the homeless guy feels more uh in, I, I guess more br- more brazen to call call you the n-word as a as a woman as opposed to hmm. me um but you know I, I know like um you know like you're, you're not insulated from racism as a, as a guy but i'm just wondering if there's different dynamics that are it's hard it's, it's all it's all it's all yeah, speculation that's interesting. yeah um that's interesting to think about so i well said um so getting back to like your you know childhood experiences and the earliest so could you just kind of speak about maybe the earliest times that you noticed your racial background in relation to others like kind of like what time in your life it was you know you mentioned obviously the type of neighborhood that you grew up in as far as uh, demographics go but um how early did it happen for you so that's a hard question i actually (laughs) don't remember any particular instance that made me realize that, oh, maybe I'm a little bit different. Um, I think it was something that grew over time. I think my identity and my pride in who I am, you know, it was a, it was a process. And I, I don't think 
I was ever really crystal clear aware of how other people perceive me until um, until standardized tests. <laughs> and we were, right. and that was late. Like, yeah. I don't know, maybe middle school that starts. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, where, where you're forced to check a box. <laughs> and that was, I think that was the first time I really had a conversation with my parents around how do I choose and how come there isn't a box for, at that time we weren't referring to ourselves as Blindian, my brother right. and I, but right. there wasn't a box for half black, half Indian. Right. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't, and I wasn't okay with choosing. Right. Um, right. So I just, just, I would leave it blank or eventually there was an other category. Yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, the dreaded other one. category. It's so funny. <laughs> but like that could mean anything. Yeah. It could be, it could be Martian or like, it's, it's so, right. it's so interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I had a similar experience. I mean, yeah, we, we, I'm two years older than you, uh, but it's the same type of thing. I don't remember checking. Like, so for me, like, and I'll get to it. Like, my, me noticing I was I was different came up earlier than that, but I do remember the whole standardized testing, and I remember even like college applications. I remember the first application that I got that had actually multiracial was University of Michigan, like out of the hmm. you know dozen schools or so that I applied to. That's when I was like, wow, they, and and Michigan was one of the schools I considered, not maybe not like consciously for that <laughs> reason, but I thought that was really cool. And I, yeah, I, I had a hard time like just checking one; it just didn't feel right at all. Um, right, and, and, right. and yeah, I, you know, I, like, I, I think we both are speaking the part for the, the fact that we have pride in all the parts of who we are and it grew over time and yeah, checking a box, like doesn't really match the spirit of that in my opinion. So, right. Yeah. yeah it's like, how dare you, how dare you try to put me in a box? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Whether it's race or anything else. Exactly. 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 Nobody wants to be put in a <laughs> box now and like, yeah, like it's, 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 it's a, it's a common like human experience. Um, yeah, for me, like, I don't know if it was, like, Long Island, as far as the New York metro area goes, is, like, in some ways, like, the, the least, like, tolerant, I think, of all the suburban communities. And, like, there's a lot more, I mean, again, not to go down the rabbit hole of politics, but there's a big kind of new new era Republican Trump contingent in Long Island more than the other suburbs for whatever reason. Um, it's not to say that it's, like, you know, growing up in, like, the, the deep south, but... There, you know, there's a lot of like, I'm not sure if it's like the working class population to a degree or, or, or what it is, but, you know, I did hear the N word used. It wasn't directed at me. I can't think of an experience um, where it was directed at me as a kid, but um, I remember, you know, when I was like 10 years old, um, you know, I was at a, a, a day camp and it was a really hot day. It was like hot and muggy and, um, I was like using the water fountain and I was just, you know, it wasn't like taking a long time, but, um, I, there was some kid like around the same age, maybe a year or two older that said like, oh, you know, black people always take a long time to use the water fountain. And like, I remember yeah. feeling just so like angry and like, and like, I, and I, and I, and, I, and even at the time I was like a small skinny little kid, but I, I turned around and gave him like a look, like a glare, like that I wasn't going to tolerate that. So I'm proud of myself for doing that. But in hindsight, I know violence doesn't solve anything. I wish I just like punched him in the face. <laughs> And like, wish that like, you know, I had to be brought to the camp, and my parents and his parents are brought in, and it would have been maybe just some kind of a uh, an educational experience for everybody. But like, that was like a, a really like a moment where I didn't feel I didn't feel good about being different. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was a still yeah, <laughs> maybe a little, like a little traumatic to talk about. And then you know, other questions too. And I alluded to this. Like, people always used to say like, "Oh, are you tan from the sun?" It's like, "Oh, like you know," because 
like I, I was at like my, my cousin, second cousin on my mom's side is my mom's the Caucasian side. And, um, you know, like, like people looked at me and they were like, Oh, like, you don't look like you're like fully black. And then like, I remember there was a question like, Oh, you're, you're Todd's cousin, but you're, are you tan all like, are you so tan from the sun? And I was like, no, I'm half. Like I, I didn't know how to answer the question as like a 10 year old. So it's, it's just an interesting right. experience. I've definitely, I've definitely gotten that question. I actually <laughs> was, um, I was in Mexico for spring break. This was the day after I met Andrew. My oh, funny. Ironic. <laughs> and I was with my friends at the pool and a guy came up to us and, he was just started talking and then he looked at me and he said, so did you tan before you got here? <laughs> and I just, yes, I, I just did. started laughing because yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't figure out like, is he really that clueless <laughs> or does he, I, I just, I didn't know what, where that was coming from, but it was hilarious. And I just had to laugh about it, but I was older. You know, yeah, I think if yeah, I was yeah. a lot younger, it would have been a different story, but I was in college. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, I re responded to it. Differently. That's, that's a, that's a funny story. It's like, yeah, I've been tanning since before I got here from the, from the, from the womb actually. Right. But, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Very you know, I, I know, uh, this is the, so like, as far as our partners, has there ever been any like, like, like what's been your, if you don't mind me asking experience in dating history with like, as far as race goes, you know, I know like both of our, you know, your husband and my wife are Caucasian. Um, but like, you know, how, what has been like your experience there? Um, so I, I always joke that it was just way too hard to find any Blindians <laughs> to date. So I had to go out of my, right. <laughs> of my race. Yeah. We're all in like, um, we're all in like interracial relationships by default. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I dated mainly white guys. Um, mm -hmm. but I did, I did date a couple Hispanic guys. Um, I was in pretty serious relationships and, um, I, I went to like a dance with a black guy in high school. Um, so I think a lot of it was just, it was more based on opportunity and based mm -hmm. on who the people were around me. Um, it had nothing to do with who I was attracted to or who I wasn't attracted to. Um, so yeah, I just, I, that's kind of, for whatever reason, I met Andrew and, um, you know, this was a long, 15 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just knew like, this is the guy right. and right. it didn't have anything to do with, this is the guy because he's white. Exactly. This is the guy because, you know, it just, this is the guy. Yeah. And, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, for, yeah, for me, um, you know, I've like out of the three girlfriends that I've had, including Jen as my wife, um, they were all funny, ironically enough, like Italian American women. So like, that's like my mom's huh. side. Um, but as far as like my, like who I've dated, I mean, I, I find myself attracted to historically to all ethnicities. Um, but again, I think it is more opportunity because I grew up in a predominantly white environment, both, you know, high school, college. Um, so that's like the, the majority of my experience as well. Um, but I, I, you know, certainly like what wasn't like, Oh, I have to date that person because they're white and, or, or, or anything like that. Um, you know, because there's, I think there's, there's beauty across all different ethnicities, um, for sure. 100%. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting now that we have kids, I mean, our kids are like, I mean, just 
complete melting pots. I mean, um, like, like I was trying to, like, I remember before, uh, Eloise was born, we always figured out like what her like, like ethnic breakdown was. And it's roughly like, she's like 70, 69.5% Italian and 25% African American, like, uh, or maybe a little bit less than that. And then, uh, you know, like, like an eighth Swiss, um, or I'm sorry, like, uh, like one sixteenth Swiss. So it's like, it's so interesting, um, to try to figure that out. But like, have you had any experiences like the perception I think by others, like, like people aren't used to seeing like half race or quarter race kids. And like, it, it's like, I, I know like if, uh, if Jen is out with, with Eloise without me, people will come and be like, Oh, is she a Sicilian? Or like, what's her like, like so, maybe some people just see her as a, as a white kid. Some people see her as like, she, she looks, she looks a little dark. I, I'm curious what the perception is when I'm with her. Like, but have you had any, like, could you speak to that at all? Like as far as your own experience with, with, uh, with you, with your son? Yeah, I, um, I, I've definitely been asked if I'm the nanny. Um, and the first few times that happened, you know, when he was a baby baby <laughs> in New York, right. um, I kind of, I wasn't really okay with that. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I imagine you would I'm be. Not. Yeah. But, but now if people ask me, like, it, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And I just proudly say, no, I'm his mom. Right. Um, and, you know, cause I know they're not saying it again from, from, a place of any sort of fear or hatred. It's really just That's curiosity ignorance. and they just yeah, don't or curiosity, know. yeah. Um so so yeah, I say no, no, he's mine. <laughs> and and I think now what I'm experiencing with Kason when we go out, whether it's just me or, or both Andrew and I with him, is a lot of what my parents experienced. And that is that people are just really taken by him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. almost every day complete strangers will say, Wow, like he's beautiful and and they just look at him and they're just really drawn by, you know, this of course I'm I'm biased, but this beautiful child. Oh, you could and, say you could say you're um, biased all you want. Kason's one of the most handsome handsome <laughs> kids I've ever laid my eyes on. Like he's he's a he's just he's gonna be I mean he could be like a model when he gets older. So that that's no exaggeration. Except that he doesn't like to perform well, on demand. That could change. He's a toddler now. Who knows what it's going to be when he's uh, when he's you know, fifteen years? No, but like no, I, 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 he's he's a really beautiful kid, obviously. Yeah, and so I think people are, and you know, I feel the same way about Eloise. I people are just that. drawn to them, and they're um, they're just curious, like, wow, these these are beautiful children. And maybe the next question then is you know, what's their ethnic breakdown? Right. But I think the right. first thing is they're drawn to their beauty. Yeah, they're and be- that's, exactly. That's pretty cool. And, and then hopefully, yeah, as they go through schooling, they'll be, they'll be drawn to other things that don't have to do with their race. Or, oh, they're really smart or they're, or they're a great athlete or um, really creative. Like, yeah, like that's, that's I guess that's the hope for everybody in, in the world. It's just that like yeah. race is not like the, the, the forefront conversation and, and the, the leading topic for anybody's like identity and story. Yes. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how many times they're asked, what are you? Mm-hmm. Just as we were asked that, yeah. you know, like, will it be more or less? Yeah. I, I, I guess time, time will tell. Right. Um, it's uh, the interesting thing. Um, yeah. Jen, and I had a similar story where like, so <laughs> we were out 
uh, a couple months ago, we went to uh, uh, like a, a beach town in Connecticut, like an hour and a half from us for Mother's Day weekend. And we went to just a, it was a really crowded diner on Mother's Day, or really crowded, like, like, I guess, like restaurant on Mother's Day. And we were eating and some like probably 75 year old, maybe 80 year old woman came up to us and she was like, um, she, she's like, she's like, I'm going to, she's like, she kind of just like sat down at our table and she's like, I'm sorry, this might be a little bit awkward. I don't remember exactly how it went. But she's like, this might be a little bit awkward, but, um, and she's like, I'm going to have a moment. Um, I just wanted to say like, she is so beautiful and I don't know what your ethnicity is. Like if you're like black, like, like she's like, she's obviously your, 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 your baby's mixed, but, um, you know, my granddaughter is dating a black person and I, you know, didn't think that I, um, you know, I, I haven't talked to her since we found out and she didn't tell me like, why would she like that, that, that her boyfriend happened to be black and like it, it, and it was really beautiful to see like she almost had this like moment where she was admitting that she had like a ra- like racial biases and somehow the mm. moment of seeing us with Eloise kind of opened up her eyes to the fact that like um, that this person that her granddaughter was dating is a human being. And then she started talking about things like, oh, well, he's going into be a cop and I don't know how I feel about that. So like it got her away from his, his race as a topic and talking about like other parts of him, which I thought was really cool as much as it was uncomfortable. And, so awesome. and I was kind of defensive over the whole thing, but Jen was like, so okay. like, Jen was like, was like really like appreciative and like, and even like, I kind of like eventually steered back and was like, oh, thank you for coming up. It was really like, you know, courageous of you to come up to us. But I, I definitely was defensive at the beginning. Totally. And I think that it's okay to feel that way at first. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. And it's just, it's a reminder that these kids of ours are the future leaders. Exactly. And it's my hope that, that yeah, they'll help open a lot of people's eyes mm-hmm. as they move through this world and through their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll lead for other reasons too, you know, like they'll yeah. celebrate all that, who's, that yeah. they are, but then they're going to be leaders because of the way they think and the, because of the way they treat others and because of like what they fight for. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, and then it's a good segue that just to something to end on. So there's so many mixed race public figures out there and it isn't often acknowledged. Like a lot of times, like, again, it's like the tendency for people to want to categorize and like claim it for their own. Like when I was going through this process of Googling some of the, the people in the, in the public, in the public eye that are of mixed race, like there was like, a, there's like a, I, I don't want to say what the website is, but it's a well-known like um, African-American like publication. And it said like, oh, these are, um, you know, these are leaders that that are proud to claim like like that they're black. And it's like something about that really like rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, all right, like the, like like why does it have to be like like people who proudly claim anything like everybody has their own racial identity? So I thought that was in, right. that was interesting. But like not all these people were on that list, but some of them were. But just to list some of these figures um, in politics, there's obviously our former president, Barack Obama. Uh, Kamala oh, Harris. Gosh, don't you miss him? Yeah, <laughs> don't even. That's a that's a whole other subject. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, Kamala Harris. Uh, two very notable politicians in film and on TV. Um, Halle Berry, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, uh, Vin Diesel, Vanna White. Um, in music, there's Drake, Alicia Keys, Lenny Kravitz, Mariah Carey, Faith Evans, and then in sports, I mean, you know, Colin Kaepernick's getting getting a lot of uh, notoriety for the whole okay. anthem thing, but he's of mixed race and he actually was raised by white parents. Um, but he's of mixed race. Um, and then there's Tiger Woods, Derek Jeter, Blake Griffin, Clay Thompson on the world championship warriors, yeah. Dak Prescott. Yeah. I mean, there's, and then, 
you know, I, I guess like a miscellaneous category is Meghan Markle, who's now, <laughs> you know, in, in, yeah. in royalty. So um, yes. there's a lot of people out there. And a lot of times these people aren't acknowledged as being mixed race. And um, it just shows, it goes to show you that like, um, that's kind of the direction and the bend, I think, of where society is going. It's going to be more and more. And it's and, and maybe, you know, ultimately it'll be good to have a moment in our the racial evolution of our country that we acknowledge these people for being mixed. But, but hopefully, like someday, like race just isn't 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 something that's talked about or, or, or front and center. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't know if I. Um, Hmm, it's it's an interesting idea. Like I don't know if I want there to be a time where we don't actually talk about race, but I want us to be in a place where we can all authentically celebrate everything that we are and everything that everyone else around us is. Exactly. If that makes sense. Like no, it I makes see total that sense. as a distinction. Yeah. Um. And, but yeah, it's going back to you know, all of these people being put in, in little boxes right, <laughs> by society right. is, it's so interesting. And it's just, um, it's so cool. Cause as I see this list and I hear all those names, I feel so much pride. Right. You know, it's a like, ton yes. of pride. Like, yeah. These are, these are our people, Chris. Right. These are all like mixed race people. Exactly. That, <laughs> They're doing very accomplished. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very accomplished in their own um, ways. Totally. And it's, but it's, it's going to be so interesting as yes, there's a segment of our population that is holding on to their purity or mm-hmm. their, mm-hmm. um, like their ethnicity as this pure quote unquote, pure thing, which again, if you go back into anyone's history, you'll see that it's not pure. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, but there is this group that's holding on to that. And unfortunately they're, they're going to be the minority and that's what scares them. And that's why they act out with hatred and fear. Exactly. Um, but the rest of us and the rest of the world, and especially the rest of this country is moving on in this really exciting, beautiful direction. Where exactly. Our kids and our kids, kids are going to be these incredible constellations of, of different races. Exactly. And, um, yeah. People just are going to have to deal with it. Cause yeah. it's not going to be a, a choice yeah and like it or not i mean it's the, the movement is too strong now it's just not even just in this country but, but but internationally of all the people that are mixed race and like like people could cling and 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 and, and, ho- and hold on to these like these birthrights of being like just like a a caucasian and like they're this like quote-unquote white pride in this nationalism but it's it's uh yeah there's there's nothing stopping it and uh, it just goes to speak right. to, like, the fact that we're all human beings. It would be so funny. I was just thinking as you were saying that, like, wouldn't it be funny if, like, Jeff Sessions did, like, one of these, like, 23 and me, and he found out he's, like, like 20%, like, Mexican or, like, African-American or something yeah. like that. That would just Oh, my gosh. I wish awesome. they would all do this. And I'm yeah. sure they would then, like, figure out some way to manipulate the data. Exactly. <laughs> present it as, like, fake. Exactly. But... Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but, oh my gosh! If everyone could just see where they came from and what they're made of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, anyway, well, I really enjoyed this conversation. I wanted to thank you so much for joining the podcast today, and really grateful for the time and you know, sharing your experience just so honestly and openly. And I look forward to having you potentially in the future for another topic or uh, just having the informal discussions with you about this. This really was just just such a great experience. For me too, I'm so glad that you're doing this and putting this 
um, really important message out there. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for the time. It's my pleasure. And uh, I just wanted to, to tell people where to find you. Um, uh, you can check out Daya's blog at neurosweat.com and follow her on Instagram. It's at doctor.daya, D-A-Y-A, Grant. Is that correct? Did I get that correct? Yep, that's right. Perfect. Well, enjoy the rest of uh, your day and uh, looking forward to talking in the future. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks. All right, I'm going to rename the ham rant segment to the ham hot takes. It sounds better and it's a little less um, less uh, angry or less setting the tone that there's uh, it's going to be some kind of angry um, angry thing. Uh, frankly, I mean, most of the time it is, but whatever. Let's just call it that. So ham hot takes. Hot take number one. The expression all-American girl, in quotes. You probably have heard the term all-American girl used in the past and thought nothing of it. Hey, maybe you've, you've used it again as well. Um, you likely wrote it off as being innocuous. However, this is a racist term and it's coded. You know, it's something that has to be taken seriously, especially as we have a president who says, go back to your country, to congresswomen in the US who are citizens. And it's something that people across this country say all the time to minorities. Here's why. American, quote unquote, American, is implicitly meant to mean white American. It's why the slogan, make America great again, sticks with a segment of people in this country and is offensive to a large majority. When I say large majority, I mean, sorry, not a large majority, but just offensive to, to people in this country too. Now we may be 50 plus years removed from segregation and nearly 160 removed from slavery, but consciously and subconsciously, white Americans, not all, but a lot, see themselves as first-class citizens. And also, there's probably a lot of minority groups that see white Americans as first-class citizens. Now, what does all-American mean? Blonde? Blue eyes? Green eyes? Aryan? You know, this country has a checkered history, both in the way that it was founded, displacing Native Americans, slaughtering a lot of them, and some of the explicit elements of oppression and racism and violence towards minority groups in this country. You know, having brown skin doesn't make me any less of an American as my blonde counterparts. And I, like, I have plenty of blonde friends out there. You know, it's reckless to associate the identity of America with white only and further elevate the features of those of Aryan ancestry. Stop it. This hot take is a little more light or humorous. We're going to look at weight. This take is, is towards uh, weight slammers at the gym. So I go to the gym a lot, unapologetically. You know, at, at a stage of my life in college, I probably was classified as a meathead. And as a man in my late 30s, I like to take care of myself. You know, I, I typically go in the morning um, before my family gets up. Now, when I go to the gym, I like to minimize conversation. I take my AirPods, I put them in my, my ears, and... If I can go an entire workout without, without saying two words to anybody, it's a success. Now, even when my wife is there, I, I often don't even talk to her. Um, but one of the things that just grinds my gears the most at the gym is the guy, usually not the gal, but the guy who throws his dumbbells recklessly to the ground or lets go of a, a machine 
So the pulley releases with such force that the weight plates powering the machine slam into each other and it stresses out the pulley. It makes a big scene. And everybody's looking at this person. Will you stop this shit? You know, to me, this is yet another manifestation of an insecure man. You know, just like the man with the loud muffler in his car who revs up his engine just to go you know, 500 feet to the, to the red light. Or the man who uh, is swerving in and out of lanes on a highway going 90 miles an hour in a 55. You know, nobody gives a fuck that you lifted a heavy set for you. I don't give a fuck. Does it make you look cool to grunt like, throw the weights down, slam a machine, just draw attention to yourself? Can you get a life? You know, put your head down, get your workout in or before or after the busyness of your day with your wife, your spouse, your kids, and your job, and do it like the rest of us. You know, everyone who does that, I wish I could go out, print a shirt, that on the front says, I think I'm cool, dot, dot, dot. And on the back it says, but I'm not. And thanks for listening to the Chris Ham Podcast. Please follow me on Twitter, at Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.